the perfect healer, and he tells us to bring our cares to him. As we sing, let's make sure we do that. Prince of I've shared with you before, but I need you to know again that I I don't willy-nilly kind of just pick my favorite songs week to week. I I try very hard every time I come to to, to work. Um, Holy Spirit, guide me in in the, the choice of these songs, and and I, I I just I try so desperately just lay that before the Lord and let let Him be the one to pick these songs. And so sometimes that makes more sense to me than others. And this week, it was about halfway through the week, but as I was practicing, I it just like connected in my mind. Oh, that's that's what the good Lord was up to, and and so we've sung a lot about about posture and the way that we're we're looking, right? We've looked up and He's there, and we bow down and He's there, and we look behind and He's there, and we look ahead and He's there, and our our gaze is so important, right? And we're gonna keep singing about this, and I just wonder, church, if we if we are fixing our gaze, maybe there's a tap on the shoulder that keeps happening and trying to get us to do this 180 and we just need to give a really swift kick or maybe turn around and just throw punt, you know, not a person, you follow me, like, but this is how we deal with things in our life that are trying to get us, like, off of the focus of Jesus, like, we deal with it ruthlessly, right? But maybe it's a little more gentle than that and maybe as we're looking ahead, it's, this little thing that subtly comes up and tries to get get our gaze just ever so slightly off of him right and i i'll just speak for myself sometimes it's a it's an attitude sometimes it's this glob of pride oh right that the lord is so good to be like Ugh, yeah we're gonna scoot that off to the side my gaze is on him right sing this next song, I do want to want to make you aware of a line that I hate, that I should have rewrote it or something, but I didn't. <laughs> it's 
not that I hate it, but I think it's a little bit wrong because it says, God, we want more and more and more and more of you. And that sounds nice, but it's kind of like praying, God, be with us like he's already with us, right? So, so the right prayer in that would be, God, help us be more aware of your presence with us. And so, so it is with this prayer that, God, we want more and more and more and more of you. He's there like, I'm ready. I'm pouring. I want to pour all of myself into all of you and, and flow through every part of your being. But maybe it's that as we gaze, there's this little distraction that we're like, hey, let's, let's get rid of that. Do, do you follow me? And so our prayer of, God, I want more and more and more and more of you is coupled with this prayer of, Lord, bring to my awareness what is distracting me from fixing my gaze solely on you.
as a group desire desire you and only you and Lord we acknowledge that that sometimes we can't do it ourselves all the time we can't do it ourselves and so we need you and we need your strength to come and help remove the things that might distract us from fixing our gaze fully on you and God I just ask for anyone in this, this place that, that might be struggling through that right now this morning, Lord, would you remind us that you are the strength, you are our hope, and we can trust in you. And I pray, Lord, through the remainder of this service, through every element, and um, as Pastor Terry and Pastor Josh come and speak, Lord, we want to hear from you, and we know that your Holy Spirit will speak through through them. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we want to honor you in all that we say and do. It's in your son's precious and holy name we thank you. Well, good morning, church. God is in this place. I just feel his love and leadership and just what it means. I'm Pastor Terry Adams, uh, and uh, Gail and I come to the second service, so a lot of you have said hello and not recognize this. We've been here, uh, it'll be, well, it was uh, Mother's Day over a year ago, and uh, we went through the COVID uh, thing and, you know, did church online, and and uh, it came to a point where we knew we needed to come back to church, but God led us to make a change and the change was, well, we'll start searching and looking where God leads us. We came one time here, and, and it was answered prayer. <laughs> I mean, 
It, it was just uh, amazing how God has put the whole package of his love together in, in this church here at Marysville. And uh, I do have notes. So a uh, little uh, history. Uh, I grew up here in Marysville, you know, graduated high school and all that. So this is basically uh, my hometown. Uh, and uh, I'm a retired minister from uh, North Central Ohio uh, Church of the Nazarene District and uh, was blessed to serve at High Point Church for many years as associate pastor and in, in, in other parts of leadership. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, uh, at my age, I got a long list of stuff. So, <laughs> But anyhow, uh, Pastor Brian called me this week and asked if I would uh, talk about how communion has been part of my life and ministry. And uh, of all things, uh, that morning, I even told Pastor Brian that uh, with COVID and everything and being active in the church, it, it's been a, uh, a dry spell for, for Gail and I, my wife, to not be part of... Uh, you know, of being in church service on a different level because that's that's the call of my life, you know, and uh, it's it was answered prayer when Pastor Brian called me and I told him that, you know, I was praying that morning to uh, see where the direction in my life would be. And uh, this is important to me and my family that uh, we get this privilege to talk to you a little bit about what communion means to us. I grew up in a small local church here and my dad was a deacon. So he would prepare and serve communion. So that was part of our family life. And uh, once my sisters, sisters and I accepted Christ, we got to partake of communion and, and it brought it to a new, new uh, meaning instead of just the motions. You know, it wasn't just going to church, Sunday, check that off, go to Sunday school, check that off, mow the grass, help out, check that off. It, it, it became more than that. Uh, communion was a way to actually understand when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, that it's actually something that Jesus physically did in that room with the people that were closest to him. And that's the opportunity we have today. You know, we get to be in Jesus's presence as people close to him in an intimate way that he, uh, he went to the cross and died for us. He shed his blood and this is our opportunity to remember exactly what all that means. Um, some of the uh, uh, points that stand out in ministry to me uh, as being someone who has been involved with uh, preparing so serving communion, a couple things stand out to me. Uh, we, uh, we had the opportunity of one gentleman who was, 
he was dying of cancer and uh the the lead pastor i was under we went to his house and were able to serve him communion and folks it's 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 a blessing beyond comprehension when somebody who loves jesus and knows where they're going to get to serve them communion and just see that moment of how much love they have for what it means to know where you're going and what what life is about eternity um back to the notes so today i would just really thank you brian for asking me to come up and talk a little bit about what communion means to me in ministry it, it it's it's a chance to be in jesus's presence not just to remember but i've often heard it's a chance to rededicate yourself you know that we live in a world where a lot of mistakes are made you know and i've made a lot of them and uh when we do get to come and share in communion it's a chance to remember just that we are forgiven and this is how it happened and we are so blessed to be part of his love and his redemption so thank you a lot for letting me uh talk to you a little bit about what communion means to me thank you brian in first corinthians chapter 11 paul is responding to a problem in the corinthian church where they have turned communion into something that it was never intended to be. It began to become a part of division. And Paul was addressing that we as a body of Christ are to be unified. Instead, what the church had become used to was that they were using it as a time to kind of build their social groups. Their socioeconomic statuses were causing divisions amongst them. Their, their places in, in society were causing divisions. And Paul says, no. This is unworthy. This is not what this is all about. This is a time that should bring unity to the body of Christ. We're all invited to the same table. There's a seat for each of us. While communion of itself doesn't save us, it is an invitation to experience God's grace. It's a reminder for us to, to think on the things that he's done for us and for us to take a few moments, and as Amy talked about a few moments ago, and to reflect upon what we've allowed to perhaps slip into our lives to creep in that has taken space valuable space that god instead wants to have in each of us so as we prepare this morning to partake in communion we do so in a way that honors god but also edifies and builds up the body of christ one another we're doing this together we're all part of one family at one table this morning and i'm thankful for that opportunity to share in this with you just a few moments i'm going to have a word of prayer and as that concludes, uh, Amy's going to begin to lead us in a, just a time of preparation, of, of worship, of reflection, of getting ready. And we invite you to come forward to receive your elements. Please return to your seats without drinking or eating them quite yet. And when everyone has been served, we'll partake together. And then we'll spend, a time, spend some time together reflecting upon the grace that God offers to us. Grace is free. It is it's, it's something we will never deserve or earn. It's unmerited favor of God. But it's also something that compels and changes us. So once we receive it, there's a difference that should show up in our lives. Let's reflect upon that today. God, what have we allowed to creep in? What might be pulling us apart? And what should rather instead be pulling us together? With the grace of God. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to remember. 
for, for this space, Lord, to, to, that we give to you to speak into our lives, to correct, to challenge, to convict, uh, to edify, to build up, to restore. Well, whatever this moment might mean, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted. It would be no small thing. This is very significant in the life of the church and the life of the individual. So as we receive the elements today, as we're reminded of what they're all about, we'll talk about that in just a few moments, God. I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, be in this place this morning. Draw us close together. Remind us of who we are, of whose we are. And Father, be glorified, I pray, in this act of worship this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to come now, receive the elements. If you're unable, please wave to us. We'll come to you. I want to make sure that everyone is served this morning. This is communion, your body broken. This cup we're drinking is bittersweet. The gift of friendship, true is salvation, born of your
visiting with us today, you're invited. All are invited today. No one is left out. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Grace. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread, the body of Christ, and remember what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. As we drink, let us remember the blood that Christ shed for us. It offers us a chance of forgiveness in relationship with him. Father, for us to truly understand grace, really helps us understand it as a life that's changed and been transformed. Father, we thank you for the invitation to come to join with you today. May our worship continue, Lord, as we open up your word, as you take us deeper, as you show us something more, as you help us continue to grow. I pray that you would anoint Pastor Josh. He comes and shares with us what you've put upon his heart. We're just ordinary people, Lord. We serve an extraordinary God. When we give you room and opportunity, you do extraordinary things through people just like us. We thank you, Lord, for that. We pray you continue to be with us, be among us, speak to us, change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things this morning. Amen. I told, I told first service, you may have gotten used to us ending with communion, and so then you're maybe like, hey, we're not going to have a sermon today. But you're wrong. I'm going to preach today. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Um, you don't get off that easy. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to soften the blow here just, just a little bit. I want to show a quick uh, video clip to start us off here. Um, this is going to be from the show The Office. How many of you watched The Office? If you haven't, first of all, shame on you. Second, you should definitely watch The Office, all right? Uh, the Office was a, uh, basically a mockumentary uh, show where they kind of uh, portrayed it as if this documentary team was following around the, uh, the employees at Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, all right? And so it's uh, many seasons of, of just following around this, uh, this paper company. This is the very last scene of the entire series, and I want you to hear what they have to say. I thought it was weird when you picked us to make a documentary, but all in all, I think an ordinary paper company like Dunder Mifflin was a great subject for a documentary. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that kind of the point? There's a lot of beauty in the ordinary. Isn't that kind of the point? So when we're in the midst of, of this series called Ordinary People, and as I was watching The Office for the who knows how many times I've watched it, 
that episode came on, and that episode ended with, uh, with Pam Halpert. I, I said Pam Beasley first service, but I was reminded that she was married at this point, so it's Pam Halpert. If you do not watch The Office, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just bear with me. It's fine. But I came across this, this last scene in that, in that quote, and I thought, this is my chance. I finally get to share a clip from The Office in a sermon that I'm preaching. My life is complete. I can retire a happy man. All right, so this will be the last sermon I ever preach because I'm now done. Just kidding. That's not, that's not it. But as I watched that, that scene where Pam is talking about, man, I thought, it was, uh, I thought it was weird that you as a documentary company would choose to follow us around. Just an ordinary paper company. Ordinary Dunder Mifflin that you would choose to follow us around. And then she has this moment of reflection that there's a lot of beauty in the ordinary. Right? And that's kind of the point. And as she said that, and as I was thinking about our series, Ordinary People, I kind of wondered, maybe how, how many of how many of the Bible characters that we find in here and that we read about might have a similar reflection? If they were to look back on this today, if they were able to kind of look back and reflect on this, I wonder if any of them would have a similar reaction. Like, it's, like, it's a little bit weird that my ordinary life would land in a book that has shaped generations and generations of people. I wonder if they would have that similar reflection. But I think that that's what the Bible is, right? It's the story of God at work in and through the lives of ordinary people who choose obedience to God. I wonder if maybe they would reflect and think, why would they choose an ordinary person like me? And as we've uh, talked about throughout this series, there's something about this ordinary person who chooses obedience to God, and everything is different. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a decision that you very quickly regretted? Yes, right? Like, don't lie. We all, we all have made those decisions that we quickly regret. Can I tell you this morning, this sermon is one of those things. <laughs> this sermon that I'm about to preach is one of those that I pretty quickly started regretting. All right, so Pastor Brian asked me, he said, hey, Josh, do you want to, uh, do you want to preach in series in the Ordinary People uh, series? And of course, I'm never going to turn down an opportunity uh, to talk, right? That's what, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to take that opportunity. And, uh, and he said, just pick someone uh, who is kind of, from the scripture, who's kind of, uh, you see as ordinary, but, uh, but when God uh, kind of, when they had an encounter with God, things changed and, they, and they, they joined into this extraordinary story of God. I'm like, all right, let's do that. I got this. And then I picked Joseph. And I'm not talking about the Old Testament Joseph, because the Old Testament Joseph, man, there are, there's a ton about the Old Testament Joseph that you can preach from, right? There's plenty of material. No, I decided I'm going to preach the New Testament Joseph. Joseph, the father of Jesus. And again, it was one of those decisions that I pretty quickly started to regret. First of all, it's because this me reading and me preparing for this sermon on Joseph has stirred up a significant amount of tension in my life. It's stirred up tension in my mind that I haven't resolved yet. And so as I'm preparing this, I'm like, I, this, that, was a, that was a terrible decision, Josh. You could have chosen anyone. Like there are an incredible amount of people in the Bible that you could have chosen, and you chose Joseph. It stirred up tension. But the second reason I regret it is because there's just not much in the Bible about Joseph, the father of Jesus. There's not a lot written about him. I don't know, we don't know a lot. There's not a lot that's been included. So how am I going to come up 
with a sermon, I quickly regretted my decision for Joseph. But I'm a man who sticks to my commitments. And I chose Joseph, and so I'm going to stick to Joseph. I'm not going to change my sermon halfway through the week. I'm going to stick with Joseph. And so here we are. As I've continued to prep my sermon, as I've continued to try to, to, to gain some insights from the life of Joseph, one thing became clear to me. The testimony of Joseph is found in his actions. There are not a lot of words written about Joseph in the Scripture. But one thing that is clear from what is written about Joseph is his testimony is found in his actions. And I think that that's often the way of ordinary people. As we've talked about ordinary people for the past several weeks, I think that that's a significant pattern. That the testimony is found in the actions of the ordinary person. The beginning, the starting point of God using these ordinary people is often in the quiet, in the mundane, in the everyday life, in the subtle moments without much fanfare. It seems that that's the way of God using ordinary people. That their actions give testimony to God at work in the lives of ordinary people. And so this morning, I want to take just a quick closer look at the actions of Joseph. So we're going to go to the Christmas story. How many of you are super excited that Christmas is just around the corner? I see two hands. Two, three hands. Okay, four hands. Okay. Okay, that's where I'm at, right? I'm excited. Uh, I will probably start listening to Christmas here, pretty, Christmas music pretty quickly. Right? I love Christmas. I love, the, uh, I love the excitement of Christmas. I love the decorations of Christmas. I don't love the budget of Christmas, am I right? But uh, I, love, I love Christmas. Christmas is exciting. There are two different versions of the Christmas story. We're not, obviously, we didn't sing Christmas music this morning. We're not going to go crazy here, right? I'm not that crazy. But I want to talk about kind of the Christmas story because that's where we find Joseph. But we find two different versions of the Christmas story in Scripture. First, we find it, well, not first, depending on how you're reading your Bible, if you read it from the beginning, you have Matthew. But then you have Luke's version, and Luke seems to focus on Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? But if you flip back a couple books and you read it in Matthew, Matthew seems to be focused on Joseph, the father of Jesus, right? So two different versions of the story that kind of come together to give us a more full picture. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. If you want to follow along, feel free. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Verses 1 through 15, actually verses 1 through 16, um, what do we find Matthew doing? He's giving a genealogy or a family lineage that leads us ultimately to Jesus. I don't want to bore you with, re truthfully, it's, I don't want to try to pronounce all the names that are in there. So we're not going to read that. It's not important for this uh, sermon. So we're not going to do that. We're just going to start in verse 16. Again, uh, Matthew is giving all of these uh, lists of names. And then in verse 16, he says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, her husband, 
was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We have this ordinary man, Joseph. But he played a pretty significant role in the story of God's redemption, right? He essentially became the adoptive father of Jesus, of the Messiah. So obviously this ordinary man plays a significant role in God's story. But I think it's worth taking a little bit of a closer look at just what it is that Joseph did. Remember, his testimony is clear in his actions. So it's worth us taking a look. What were his actions? What was the significance of his actions? Again, Joseph was ordinary. He was an ordinary man. But the truth is, is that Joseph actually had some significance. If we look through those previous 16 verses in the beginning of Matthew, uh, what we see is this lineage, this genealogy that gets us to Jesus. And what we find if we read through that, what we see is that Joseph had significance because he was actually in the royal bloodline of David. Now that would have been significant for Joseph and for any other Jew because it would be from this royal bloodline that the long-anticipated and awaited Messiah would come from. So while Joseph was certainly an ordinary man, he definitely had some significance. And so you have Joseph. Again, Scripture doesn't tell us many details about Joseph. We don't know a lot of background. We just have his lineage, and that's pretty much all that we have. But I don't think that those background details are really significant this morning. What we can see is that Joseph, being in the royal bloodline of David, the royal bloodline that the Messiah would come from, I would imagine that Joseph had a certain amount of pressure in his life. A certain amount of pressure that came from being in David's royal bloodline. It was important for Joseph, I would imagine, to bring honor to his family, to bring honor to that royal bloodline, because it was from this bloodline that the Messiah himself would come from. I would imagine this pressure, this kind of, we've got to keep this together, we've got to do things the right way in order to bring honor and, and, and dignity to our family name. I would imagine that Joseph probably always did his best to try to do right by his family, to try to do right by his faith, and to try to do right by his God, to live a righteous life. And somehow, again, in keeping with the way that Joseph's story has told us, we don't get to see all the behind-the-scenes details, but what we see is that somehow Joseph became connected 
with Mary. It was probably some sort of an arranged marriage given the context and the culture of what was happening here. Somehow, Joseph becomes connected with Mary, and ultimately he became betrothed to Mary. All right now we're going to this is kind of this is one of those moments where we have to recognize that we are not in the same context and culture that this, that scripture was written in right that things took place in and so we have to recognize we, we we can try to understand it but the truth is is we weren't there in that context and we weren't there in that culture we simply have to recognize that things look different this is one of those moments where things were different Joseph was betrothed to Mary and so this betrothal is kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like engagement, but it was more significant than being engaged. Maybe somewhere between engagement and fully married. There had been, in order for this betrothal to have taken place, there would have been some sort of public ceremony that uh, officially bound Joseph and Mary together. Like they were bound together by law. They were committed so, so there, it, again, it was more than just a simple engagement. They were already committed and they were bound together by this covenant ceremony, but they had not yet physically consummated their marriage. So it seems though the pattern would have been some sort of public ceremony and then some sort of waiting period, and then they would physically consummate their marriage. Joseph and Mary found themselves somewhere in between there. So they were legally bound together, but everything wasn't complete. They hadn't physically consummated their marriage. So Joseph, Joseph was doing things by the book. He was doing things the way that he was supposed to. He was living his life according to the Hebrew scriptures that had been given to them. He was doing things the way that he was supposed to be doing. And then comes the news that would throw everything into crisis mode. The news that would take his ordinary life and would turn it upside down. News that would throw everything off. Mary was pregnant. And again, they found themselves in the middle of this marriage process. They were betrothed, but they, weren't, they, they hadn't physically consummated their marriage. And all of a sudden, Mary was pregnant. And according to Jewish law, according to Scripture, that means that Mary was an adulteress. It made Mary an adulteress. And again, Joseph was a man of the book. He was a man of his faith. He was a man of his religion. He was a man who wanted to do things Right, and so in this, when Joseph gets this news, Joseph knew what that meant. See, the only way for, for this marriage to, to kind of end, they had already gone through this covenant process, and so the only way for this to end was through divorce. Joseph knew what this meant. Joseph knew what was required of him by his religion. Joseph knew what was required of him for him to maintain his righteousness. Joseph knew what was required of him in order that he could ensure there would be no shame brought to the family name. Again, this family name that would bring about the Messiah. Joseph simply had to do what he had to do. Now by the law, again, you, find, you can find it earlier on in Deuteronomy, by the law, uh, the, the punishment for Mary, for Mary here was that she could be stoned to death. 
Now, it's kind of unclear if, uh, you know, how often that was actually carried out. More likely, the more likely outcome was at the very least, Mary would have faced some very public shaming. It would have been a very public divorce. She would have been marked. People would have known that she was an adulteress. It would have been this very public divorce, this very public kind of bringing shame to Mary. That was by the book. But to keep Mary, for Joseph to keep Mary would have been to bring shame to his name and his family lineage. But Joseph knew what he had to do. So he decided what he was going to do. But in what I believe is our first glimpse of Joseph having this really good understanding of the character of God, Joseph decided to do it in a way that would bring as little public humility and shame to Mary as possible. I think he understood the character of God, and so he was going to do this in a way that would protect Mary, and he decided that he would divorce her quietly. See, Joseph was stuck in this place of, uh, of, of, of maintaining his righteousness, of maintaining this life that was according to the book, that was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was continuing his life of doing the right thing and living up to the standards of his faith. But at the same time, he was wanting to protect Mary. And so we start to see this tension rise in this situation. But then the tension builds. You ever been in a moment where you're in the middle of tension and you're like, the end of this tension, the resolution of this tension is just on the horizon. And then whatever it is that comes about doesn't bring resolution to the tension. It actually only builds the tension. Can I just tell you, and I'll talk about this in just a minute, this entire sermon has been that for me. And even after preaching at one time for a service, this entire sermon has been that, that there's this tension that builds. Suddenly we find Joseph having an encounter with an angel of God in a dream. And the angel says to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And suddenly this tension that started out starts to build and, 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 and culminate and, and it basically is this tension. Do I follow the religious tradition or do I follow the move and the call of God? Do I follow my religious tradition or do I follow the move of God? I want you to grasp the significance of that tension this morning. So Joseph is now faced with the reality of the shame of turning his back on his religion, on turning his back against uh, on all that he had been taught, on all that he had read from the Hebrew scriptures. And it wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't faced with his reality because he just wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. He was faced with this tension because the very God that his religion was centered on spoke and called him. And in verse 24, we see Joseph's response. Scripture tells us that he woke up from this dream and he did what the angel told him. And this ordinary man, Joseph, suddenly takes his place in the extraordinary story of God. 
because he said no to his religion in order to say yes to God. Now, the way that we usually tell this story and the way that we, we, we think through the story, especially in Christmas, is we, we, we see this as just a minor and, and insignificant kind of part of the story and then everything just gets wrapped up in a nice pretty bow, right? And the Christmas story is just beautiful and it's lovely and we love it and everything is nice and neat and it fits into the story the way that we want to tell the story. But I don't want to go there this morning. Instead of ending, instead of wrapping this up with some sort of neat bow, I want to invite you this morning into the tension of this story. Into the tension of the very phrase that I just said because for most of you, me saying this phrase brings up tension. Joseph said no to his religion in order to say yes to God. As a pastor... When I teach, I don't have a problem bringing tension into, into a sermon or into a lesson that I'm teaching. But I usually like to resolve that tension. I like to wrap up my sermon with this resolution of this tension that I might have brought about. Can I be honest with you this morning? This story has not been resolved for me. Trust me, I've tried. I've tried for the past week in my preparation of, of, of wanting to, to preach about Joseph and to talk about his story. I tried really, really hard to come to this point of resolution, but the tension kept growing. And the truth is, is from the very beginning, man, I thought I had this figured out. Right? Like I thought I'm just going to stand up here and I can say sometimes the move of God requires us to go against our religious tradition done and done end of sermon and I could go home. But then as I started to think about saying that from the stage with a microphone for the congregation to listen to, I started to get really scared. I started to get really nervous, right? Because what if that means that someone hears what I'm saying when, when Joseph said no to his religion in order to say yes to the move of God? What if someone claims to have heard from God and what they've claimed to hear from God is just completely wacky. But Josh, you said in order to say yes to God, you had to say no to religion. Like where are the guardrails here? Like where are the boundaries? What, like, what is keeping us from going off the deep end in this? And I've spent this entire week plus wrestling with this tension. And I wish that I could say I, I resolved it for you and I could just deliver that to you. But the truth is, is, I haven't. I haven't been able to resolve it. I've had to come to grips with perhaps my role this morning is simply to invite you into this tension with me. And as I invite you into this tension with me, perhaps I could take an opportunity to share with you just a couple of the observations and thoughts that I've had. The first is this. It seems to me that Joseph has a really good perspective of his religion. Here's what I mean by this. It seems to me that Joseph understands that his religion was a means by which God was made known to his people. What I'm observing is that for Joseph, his religion was not the end-all, be-all. 
God was. His religion was simply a means by which God was made known to his people. And I think that Joseph's religion, as Joseph's religion pointed to Yahweh, as Joseph started to understand God, I believe that Joseph's religion helped him to understand the character of God. Think back on that story. Even before the angel had appeared to Joseph in a dream, Joseph had this strong desire to act out of mercy and protection and compassion. When he wanted to divorce Mary, he wanted to do it quietly in a way that would not bring shame to her name. I believe that was a reflection of the character of God. And that leads me to my next thought or my next observation or even perhaps my next tension. I need a litmus test here. I think that that's why I've had this tension in preaching this message to you this morning is because if I'm going to stand up here and say for you to say yes to the move of God sometimes requires you to say no to your religious tradition, your religious faith, and your religious background, I need a litmus test here. Like I need some sort of way that you all cannot take that and go crazy. And when I say you all, I'm really talking about myself too. Right? I need some sort of litmus test to make sure that we stay within the boundaries. I need that in my mind. Especially when hearing from God, when, we, when we're experiencing this move of God, especially when it goes against our religious tradition. Because the truth is, I like our religious tradition. I like the traditions that we've, that we've landed on. I like the things that we do. I like it because it keeps us grounded. It prevents us from going crazy. I need a litmus test. I need some sort of way of knowing when is it time to say yes to God in a way that says no to all of, the other th- all of my religious background. And here's where my tension lies. I've not come up with a really good litmus test. I would love to give you one and say, this is it. Use this rubric, and if you do that, then you're good to go. I've not landed there. So I'm living in this tension. But let me share with you for just a minute where I am. Remember how Joseph used his religion to know God and God's character? I think that maybe that character of God is a good starting point for our litmus test. Right? If we're asking, is, what is God calling us to? Is this actually a move of God or is this just something crazy that I've thought up? I think that God's character is a significant starting point for this litmus test. Right? We, we, we read through Scripture and we, we understand who God is and we understand His character. And we see that God is a God of community. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of protection and justice and compassion in love. And so when we're asking ourselves, is this a move of God? I think that those are important things to have in our mind. First of all, I think this. God is a God of community. God is a God of, of, of people. God is a God of, 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 of uh, we see through Jesus that, that Jesus lived a life of laying his life down for the sake of others, putting others ahead of himself. And so as I'm thinking through this, as I'm looking for some sort of witness test, and I'm asking, is this a move of God? I think a, a significant question to ask is, given this move of God that I am perceiving, that I am thinking I'm hearing, is this move of God going to be most beneficial for me individually? 
Because I think that if this move of God is only benefiting me or solely benefiting me as an individual, I would argue that that doesn't line up with the character of God. For Joseph, I can assure you that this was not benefiting him. His decisions would have brought about shame to his name, to his family name. This was not a move that lifted him up individually. Maybe a second thing for us to think about when we're, when we're asking the question, is this a move of God? Is, does this move of God reflect the character of God? Does this move of God reflect the character of God of mercy, of justice, of compassion, of protection, and of love? And for Joseph, the answer was yes. This is a way that God was calling him to protect and show mercy and compassion and love to Mary. And that's where I've landed. (laughs) And in my humanness, I want more. Because that's not enough of a litmus test for me. I need more. I need more resolution to this tension. But I've not gotten there yet. The only place that I've been able to land, and so this morning I would invite you to land here as well, is this. The work and the move of God always supersedes our religious traditions. The work and the move of God always supersedes our religious traditions. That's all. (laughs) As I wrap this up, I wondered, how do you wrap up a sermon where I'm just introducing tension and not resolving it? And the only way I could come up with is I would invite you to reflect on a couple of questions. Because as if there was not already enough tension, let's invite you into some more tension. And so would you take a moment to reflect on these questions as we wrap up? First is this. How do you discern the move of God? In your life, how do you discern the move of God? How do you discern the will of God? What litmus tests do you use? Perhaps more importantly is this question. Who do you allow or who have you invited into your life to help you in your discernment process? As we see over and over that God uses community and he uses other people. And I think that that's significant for us in our discernment process. Who have you invited in to your discernment process when you're discerning the move of God? Second reflection question I want you to think about is this. Have there been times when your religion has prevented you from following the move of God. There have been times in your religion, your religious faith, your religious background, your religious rules, when they have prevented you from following the move of God. And then third is, are there collective practices that we do or that we hold to that prevent the move of God? Or perhaps let's take that a step further. Are there collective practices or collective uh, things that we hold to that prevent others from participating in the move of God? Would you pray with me? God, it's kind of a weird sermon, and I even feel the tension of now preaching it twice. And just, God, there's not resolution here. 
Um, but I think that maybe we can find you even in the midst of the tension. So God, we thank you for um, we thank you for stories like the story of Joseph, of ordinary people who have obeyed your call, obeyed your move. But God, the truth is, is that sometimes the way that you move, the way that you call us, causes significant tension in our lives. So God, would you continue to help us to discern your will, to discern your move, to discern the Spirit in our lives? God, if there have been times in our lives where our religious tradition, um, religious rules, religious whatever, if those have impeded your move, God, we repent of that. And we ask that you would forgive us. God, we want to be a people who is known for following your move, for following your call, for following your spirit. So teach us what that looks like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.